Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And Byron, before we get started with the show, let the listeners know what we do, why we do it, and how we do it. Basically, the main point of this show is to get you all to realize how important voting is. And we do that by telling you what's going on in the country, what's going on around the world. We try to cover things that isn't covered as much in mainstream media. And we also cover those big stories that are covered in mainstream media. So we give you both. And we really try to stress how important voting is and being active in your community. Before we get to those important topics, uh, we always start off with something light. As you know, Frank, last week, Kevin Durant, he had the whole basketball world talking and saying different things. He chose to go to Golden State. Uh, A lot of people are discussing, is that bad or good for the NBA? Uh, For me, it's funny because you have this thing where you can't tamper in the NBA before the whole free agency thing. But uh, we find out that Draymond Green had been, he'd been going at Kevin Durant the entire season. So that playoff battle they had, he was still texting and saying, hey, man, still need you to come here to Golden State. So, And you look at how Miami did their big three players have figured out a way to form their own team and work around tampering because it doesn't apply to them. You can't stop players from talking to one another. It only applies to general managers and owners. So I thought that was funny. And it was a bit of hypocrisy on Kevin Durant. I'm not mad at the man. You want to go to Golden State? That's cool with me. But in 2011, he did have something to say about, you know, LeBron when he went to Miami. So I found humor in that hypocrisy. For you, is it good or bad for the NBA to have super teams like the newly formed Golden State? I think it's good and it's bad. I know I know people hate when you have an answer that it's both. I think it's good because it's always good to have a team that's a villain. I think that uh, a team that people are going after, you know, you think about, you mentioned Miami. Miami was, was a team that people wanted to go after. They wanted to see them lose. Uh, you know, even though they did have some pretty good success in that four year run, people for the majority outside of probably of Miami or either maybe outside of being LeBron James fans, they wanted to see the Heat lose. They were the villains. And I think what you're going to see, you're going to see a very, very similar thing here with Golden State where you're going to look and see that there's going to be Kevin Durant fans, there's going to be Golden State Warrior fans, and then there's going to be everybody else who's like, man, I really hope that the Warriors lose because they loaded up on talent. Now, the thing that I don't, the bad thing to me is, it, it takes it takes you know uh, OKC out of being a contender. You know I think I think that OKC was a legitimate championship team with Kevin Durant. Now, obviously, long term, you know maybe a pairing with Russell Westbrook wasn't going to work for him, so he made a move. I don't fault him for his decision, but it certainly makes another team weaker. So now you have one less team that can win a title, and that kind of that kind of sucks. But Let's not kid ourselves as far as the NBA. There's really only four or five teams in any season going back in the last, you know, 25, 30 years that could actually win the title. I know that everybody thinks that there's parity, but it's not the NBA is not the NFL. Uh, you know, generally eighth seeds, seventh seeds don't make don't win championships. I, I, I want to say that the lowest seed ever to win a championship was the Houston Rockets. And they, you know, had a Kemalaji one on their team. So that's kind of a big deal. Uh, for them, but you know, overall, I, I just don't think that there's in any given year there's more than a, than a handful of teams that can win a title, and certainly there's one less team that can win. But it's not a horrible, you know, thing. The NBA is not a parity league because it's a superstar league, and there's only about five or six players at any point in the league that can lead to a title. And so if those players are on the same team, it lessens the number of teams that are good. But because of that number, there's only a certain number of teams that are going to be good. So that number can be between three and six. And maybe now next year is maybe three uh, teams that can win a title. But, you know, the NBA will survive. They'll figure it out. If they really, really don't like it, they'll figure out a way in the next CBA to prevent super teams from forming. But things to happen. People work around things, like you said. And, and people are going to go where they want to go and play where they want to play. There's just no way to stop it. For me, it's going to be fine rooting against them. We'll see what happens. For now, let's get into some politics.
You are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your hosts, Frank and Byron. I want to thank everybody for joining us for another episode of Politically Entertaining. Me and Frank will discuss the recent uh, high profile police shootings later in the show. Some surprising comments from Senator Marco Rubio and the tragic events in uh, France and the coup in Turkey. We'll also be talking to Dwight Ladd. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everybody, subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Radio, Podbean or podcast on Google Play. Just search for Politically Entertaining. Hit subscribe and you'll get the episodes as soon as they're down. Today, well, this week, rather, uh, Trump finally picked his uh, vice president, his running mate is Indiana Governor Mike Pence, not a well-known popular guy, but he's a former congressman, current current governor of uh, Indiana. He's uh, married, three kids, bro. He is most known recently last year for signing in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And he did something, you know, rarely done, Frank, where he kind of pissed off conservatives and liberals because the law pretty much was going to allow businesses to discriminate against homosexuals and and things of that nature based on their religion. And so he signed that law and it pissed off a lot of liberals. And then after a good amount of criticism, he wound up backing off. They amended the law and changed the wording in it. what did you think of Donald Trump's uh, VP pick? Were you expecting him to pick Pence or somebody else? And how much do you know about the guy? You know, I don't know a whole lot about him, you know, as far as his. I do I do know that he was at the center of that religious freedom law, and that was a big deal. You know, the thing, the thing about Trump is he, he, I think he didn't, I think he went to Pence maybe as a, uh, how would you say Pence wasn't his first choice? I think his first choice he may have wanted somebody else. Maybe he wanted Christie. Maybe he wanted a Paul Ryan if they would have been down for for you know or or even um I'm trying I'm losing track of the uh, guy the what's the Ohio governor Kasich. I mean he would have wanted he wanted he would have wanted another option. Pence just happened to be the guy that was willing to take the 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 bait so to speak I and mean, you know no he certainly he's a conservative so that's a good thing uh for the conservative side but he's not a super well-liked conservative for what it's worth and, and so i don't know if it buys trump anything as far as bringing pence on certainly he's the governor of indiana but his his approval rating is not so good in indiana so i don't know if that's gonna necessarily he might not even win that state which would be kind of a funny thing you get this guy who's a governor and then you don't even win the state so i you know as far as what i know about him i know he's i know he fits a conservative profile uh you know he's much more conservative than trump is when you look at his uh positions on things so from that standpoint i think that buys him some some uh some you know cachet with uh his conservative base but i don't know if that pick is enough to to move trump into the to the lead as far as over clinton now we don't know who clinton's gonna pick yet but certainly i think it was a safe pick uh it was a pick that doesn't hurt trump at all from you know where you know whatever positions he has it, it helps him a little bit but Pence is not a guy to me that moves the needle that's like, man, Pence is going to be the thing that gets him in the White House. I mean, when you look at Trump's run up until now, it's just kind of been magical from a standpoint of he just been pulling rabbits out of hats. His VP pick to me was kind of weak. It wasn't it was the first time where it was like, "Mm, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't overly impressed with it. And like I said, maybe I don't know enough about Mike Pence. I do. You know, I do apologize that I don't have more of of a say a rundown on him on his voting record, but just. From the just from what I've read, the little that I've read, he doesn't seem to be the guy that's gonna like blow the socks off the conservatives that were thinking about sitting this one out. You were right that about him not being Trump's first pick is it's been reported that uh, Pence is the guy that the kids wanted. That his uh you know his kids are heavily involved in the campaign and Pence was their choice. Trump reportedly wanted uh, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. And uh, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, was also in the mix. It's one of those few times that I guess get what he wanted. And uh, I think the kids didn't want the baggage that Christie brought with Bridgegate 
And um, you already have the temperament that Trump has, and Christie kind of brings some of that same stuff. And Gingrich, we've talked about him in past episodes. He has, you know, marital issues from his past. So I think they feel like they have enough baggage with their dad, and they wanted to try to pick somebody that was, quote, safe. Um, there's been a lot going on with the whole race relations and police shootings, and everybody's had something to say, every politician, every pundit. Uh, and usually from the Republican uh, politicians, you pretty much get the same rhetoric. But uh, Senator Marco Rubio, former presidential uh, candidate, he actually says something quite different from the majority of his party. He released a he had a press conference. And I want to read this quote that was in his press conference to give you an understanding of where he is on the whole uh, police targeting black males and uh, the shootings of them. He said anyone who isn't black will never fully understand the experience of being black in America. But we should all understand why our fellow Americans in the African-American community are angry. That was surprising for him to say, again, a Republican candidate. And Frank, he even acknowledged the importance of Black Lives Matter, uh, completely opposite from former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, who called him a terrorist group. I will uh, address him later on in the show. But what did you think about uh, Rubio's comments and were you surprised that he kind of took a different step than some of the other re Republicans that you've heard from? I was, I was they were refreshing from a standpoint of the typical is it's so, you know, and I, and I and I would make the same comment if it was on the other side. But I'm so tired of the typical rhetoric from the right about the police shootings and saying oh we need to respect and protect our law enforcement officers they have a very dangerous job yes we understand that but, but policing a community is more than about worrying about being safe and shooting people because they you know look different than you it's about being able to understand your community and and i think that rubio finally is admitting that you know the the, the issue of the, the the issue of being black in this country is something that those who are not black cannot necessarily understand but yet it is an experience that needs to be explored and those who are policing those communities need to have healthy conversations about how to deal with situations, how to de-escalate situations and not just be like, well, this guy, you know, we have this thing where, you know, these young black men are getting killed. Uh, and, and, and then all of a sudden, oh, it comes out later. Oh, yeah, he had a rap sheet. Oh, he did this. It's like that's just like saying anybody who dies deserves to because they had sinned before they committed a crime. It's like we can't just go around. Uh, just in the end, it can't justify the means for all these things. And I think he's a f one of the few conservatives in, uh, that is taking a different path and not following the typical rhetoric of, well, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. No, there are people who are concerned about things that are happening. And I think that it is worth a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that this is a this is a good first step, uh, you know, for the Republican Party. I mean, we have Senator Tim Scott you know on the show before and, and he had some some things to say I also i know that he had some speeches where he talked about some of those things and i don't know if we want to get into that a little bit later but he talked about you know those kind of things as well and i think that the the right really needs to embrace some of these social issues in, on, on the black community because that's to me where they're really really losing out and i don't want to sidebar this and turn this into you know the republicans trying to get black votes but you know i think that a lot of reason why I, at the end of the day black people vote democrat is because they feel like when it comes to social injustice social issues not economic issues not you know those kind of things but the social issues of being policed fairly being treated fairly by law enforcement that the right totally ignores that and it's like oh well huh, doesn't happen to me and so i think you're finally seeing the inklings of maybe uh people picking it up uh, on the right saying hey you know what so social injustice against blacks is something that's worth looking at and worth championing i think it's important because i think both sides of, of, of both parties need to look at it earnestly and find a solution because i think the country would be better for it you touched a lot of things um i i, I was going to say a couple of things about senator scott's speeches but one of the one of the other things that impressed me about Rubio with this, not only is he a Republican saying these things, but, you know, originally, as recently as last month, he wasn't even running for election. And typically when candidates don't run for re-election, that's when they speak their mind and say things that they don't say. But he has declared that he is running for re-election now. So for him to say this, despite the fact that he's running for re-election, you know, you could say we're setting the bar low. 
but it, it still is impressive in today's politics with everybody sticking to their side and sticking to the talking points. So uh, I was pretty impressed by by that fact. Uh, again, we want to let you all know we'll be talking to Dwight Ladd a little later in the show of Ladd Photography in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, I invite you to like our Facebook page, Politically Entertaining. And I mentioned subscribing to the show earlier. Here's why real quick. Frank, over the past several months, like a few people will come up to me and say, hey, you know, when's the next episode coming out? Because not everybody that listens to the show follows me on social media. Well, I have to tell them, hey, if you subscribe, then you will know exactly when and not wait till you run into me and ask. So subscribe. We got you on all devices. If you're an Apple user, we got you on iTunes. Droid users, you can go to Google Play, download podcasts and search for our show. We're also on Podbean and Stitcher Radio. And you also can catch great interviews from past episodes like Frank mentioned with Senator Scott, who's been prominent because of his three speeches on race. Um, and DeRay McKesson, who is one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter. We interviewed both of those guys on past episodes. So check them out. They've been making the rounds on TV. And one of Senator Scott's speeches is on our Facebook page. He gave a three-part speech. I put the uh, part two on there where he's discussing his interaction with police and how he's been pulled over seven times in one year. So check that out. Keep that in mind and uh, tell friends as well. Frank, I want to talk about Hillary Clinton real quick. Uh, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting to see if she would be charged on this whole email thing. And last week, FBI Director James Comey, he came out and said there would be no charges. He stated that she was careless with her emails. She did have classified emails on her server and she did not submit all of her work emails to them. But he determined that it wasn't criminal. It was just careless on her part. Now, the big uproar is Attorney General Loretta Lynch. She ran into Bill Clinton on the Arizona tarmac as they were both getting ready to board their planes. And they went somewhere in a, quote, secret location and had a meeting. And, of course, you know, conspiracy theorists are saying, you know, that's why Senator, well, Secretary Clinton didn't get charged because of that meeting. My thing is this. If that that little short meeting was not going to sway her one way or another, I don't think. And it's just funny to me how Republicans were praising you know, James Comey, when he first launched this investigation against Hillary, and now that they don't have the outcome that they want, they're criticizing him. So were you expecting her to get charged? Do you think she should have gotten charged? Or was this always much to do about nothing? There's a couple of things that need to be understood. Uh, the mishandling of classified information is a very serious offense. And so for the people that are in the intelligence community, uh, you, that, that, is, that is something that they could potentially lose their job and also face prosecution for. So there is that um, thing that needs to be understood that that is not something to be taken lightly. Now, obviously, the FBI did not find the information that she was sending, even though it may have been classified, may not have been something that was so um, damning or, or, or if it got out, would have would have would have affected national security. So there is that as well. So I just think that. Uh, certainly her being careless shouldn't be overlooked but now that the FBI is not prosecuted it's time to move on I mean there's no there's it doesn't matter what you think uh, she was not uh, you know she's not going to be prosecuted on those charges do I think she was needlessly careless yes I really do I think that at, at, at her level of government uh, at her her seniority being in the government she should have never done the things she did but at the same time now that she is not going to be charged. There's no need to really talk about it. And my thing is, this this to me does not probably change if you're going to vote for her or if you're not going to vote for her. You know, for those people that feel like they wanted to vote for her, this outcome to me is not going to change it. And for those people that were not going to vote for her, it's not going to change anything. So to me, we're right back at square one. Uh, you know, let's see who she picks for her VP, and let's let's get this thing going. Let's let's get let's. I can't wait for the debates to happen and. And let's see who wins president, you know, of November of 2016. Totally agree with you. That is very serious with, you know, being careless with classifying information. But I guess my my last comment on this is it's unfortunate that a lot of Republicans were politicizing this because one of the reasons that Paul Ryan is speaker now is because the guy that was going to be speaker was caught saying that, hey, 
we we lost this to bring down her poll numbers. Like he came out and said that on an interview with, I believe, Sean Hannity. And so the party knew that they couldn't have him as the leader of the party with such a huge gaffe. And that's why Paul Ryan is the speaker today. Otherwise, it would have been Kevin McCarthy uh, as your speaker. So I just think that's unfortunate. It is serious. But like you said at the end, man, it's, it's time to move on. She didn't get charged. Um, let's talk to Dwight Ladd and see what he has to say. We're going to discuss, uh, you know, different issues, his profession, of course, as well as some social issues and political issues. So let's highlight Dwight and see what he has to say. Listen up. It's time for a politically entertaining exclusive interview. Joining us today on Politically Entertaining, he is a highly sought after photographer and mobile, former high school basketball coach, Mr. Dwight Ladd of Ladd Photography. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Oh, man, I appreciate the opportunity, man. All right, cool, man. I really want to thank you for making the time. Um, before we got get started, well, actually, we are getting started. I read an article on you um, several months ago, actually. Um, it was on, I want to say, Fox10TV.com. Mm-hmm. And in the article, you stated about once you quit uh, high school and began your photography profession full-time, that you had some tough times financially. You told this, this great story, I thought, of how at one point you had like $50 to your name, like literally. Like you stressed that, like it, it was it was no excess money in, a, in an account somewhere. It was like fifty dollars to yourself, literally. And okay. you and your wife, your your ritual was to go to a particular restaurant on Sundays. And on this particular day, you felt like you couldn't, so you suggested that you guys go to a pizza restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I think she wanted to order like an, an appetizer, and that that part wound up working out for you. But I guess my question yeah. is. Was she aware of the totality of your financial uh, strife at the time? And if not, was that something you, like, kept from her because you knew it would cause more drama? Or was she just not – was she so used to the ritual of you guys going to that restaurant that she didn't think about it at the time? Um, Actually, man, she she had no clue. It's just something that, you know, like me, you know, being a man, you know, the, um, you know, the provider or whatnot, I just felt like it was my responsibility to figure it out, you know. Right. Um, and most times, you know, we get into the, it has to be something like pretty, pretty. Well, I mean, that was pretty dire, you know. Um, we were in dire straits at that time, but I just, just really kept believing that, you know, it was going to turn around, even though it was like that dang, you know, like, man, we're like at rock bottom at this point. But she had no clue because I just didn't want to, I didn't want to pass that stress on to her because I didn't feel like she needed to be like stressing over it, you know, so it didn't dawn on her when we went to the, when I suggested the pizza spot, um, because it was new, and we, you know, we like to try new spots, so she didn't think anything of it, I just knew the right. fact that if it's pizza, okay, it can't exceed 25, 30 bucks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. so, um, and it was really like a, it was, it was so, to me, it was still spiritual, man, because, um, when we went, every time we, we would go out to eat, like, you know, we, we just love to eat, we're, we're foodies, and, um, we always get appetizers, like always, and so I knew I didn't have the cash to get one. And she was looking at she like those che- those cheesy sticks look pretty good. We, you want to try them? And I was like, hmm, I don't know. So she was like, okay, we'll try them next time. So when we sat down, the um, one of the servers came by and was like, did y'all order these cheesy sticks? And we were like, no. Nah. He was like, well, nobody claims them. They're y'all. Then he walked around a few minutes later. He came back and put them on the table. And to me, that was a sign right there that like. God still got us regardless. I mean, it may seem like trivial to other people, but to me, it said it spoke volumes because I know how we do when we go out. And it was it was just crazy, man. It's like things just turned around, like you know. Um, and you saw you you read the story, you know. We I only had the fifty bucks, spent like twenty, somewhere between twenty five and twenty nine on dinner, and I was just trying to get home so I could have like be able to give give my wife like lunch money, you know, like when she goes to work, because, you know, she was teaching at the time. She's a counselor now. I just want to give her at least at least five bucks, you know what I'm saying, to grab lunch. And, dude, literally we ran out of gas, like, right before we turned into our subdivision. And it was just like, like, man, I just need this car to crank back up so I can get to the gas station. I made it to the gas station. 
I put 20 bucks in gas in the car. You know, I hated to do it. I just wanted to get home in my car because her car already had gas in it. I just needed to get home. Um, Put 20 bucks in the car, man, and had like $5 left, period, period. And a client called me like early that that next morning and PayPal me like a huge deposit. And it was just like, you know, I was at rock bottom, and it's like, boom. They came through, paid, and then, you know, it was like a – kind of like a little cycle after that and we haven't been that low <laughs> since that situation so it was definitely a test of my faith that's great it, there's also a um i invite you all to go and, and check out that article i guess you can like google dwight lad and uh it'll pull up because there's another miracle within that story about you buying a piece of equipment that you had no money for and the person in line volunteered yeah. to pay for it so i invite everybody yeah. to check out that article FoxTNTV.com with uh, Dwight Ladd. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you, you I, I assume you mostly um, photograph weddings and, or whatnot, and sometimes my wife, she watches like Bridezilla and those uh-huh. types of shows. <laughs> Without naming any names, do you have any experience uh, for ta- photographing any wedding, any diva brides or difficult people Man. that you had to to work with? Man, I'm gonna I'm be real, man. And this is like, this is honest. And you know, honest. This is just, just real talk. I've shot like maybe 160, 170 weddings. You know, I can honestly say I've only had like two, maybe three Brazilians at the most. Like, I feel so blessed and fortunate that that's all I've had. Um, but this is the crazy part. Those two to three that I've had <laughs> will make it seem like 15, 15 or twenty. <laughs> <laughs> they like, oh my! I had one, one in particular without naming any names. She um got her album preview. I got her album preview. Preview. She changed it because I, you know, I, I allow clients like you know two to three chances, you know, opportunities to you know make revisions to the album. They want to change some pictures around, change some pages around. She changed her album seven times. Wow! I had, and I had to go back and make those changes. And at the on the last one, she said, "You know what? I just went back and looked at the first preview you sent me, and it's exactly what I want. Can we just go with that? You gotta be kidding me! <laughs> I am not. I can't make this stuff up, man. I can't make it up. And I was just like, <sighs> you know, like what do you do? So I just all that time just gone. But yeah, I've only had two or three of them, and so I feel fortunate and I feel blessed in that regard. <laughs> That's funny. So I'm, I'm gonna get a little serious on you on, on you here, uh, Dwight. So don't um, don't get mad here. But I, I know one thing that definitely your passion. You know, re- knowing your story. Um, you know, I know your father passed away. You know, 11 years ago, and it was kind of a sudden thing. And, and I just wanted to know, you know, based on everything you've gone through, your success now, what's one thing that you would tell your dad if he was here now about what you've been through and, and your success in photography? Oh wow. Wow, that's 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 a good question, man. Because my dad did he did so much. Um, he was a you know he was he was teaching drivers ed and coaching basketball at Viger. You know the job I actually went and took. He um um he was doing that. He was selling life insurance. Um, he was doing a lot. I really think, man, if I was able to talk to him just at this point, just being able to like tell him and let him see that I, I found my passion because and I'm able to like operate in my passion I don't think my dad my dad did a whole lot of he did a lot of things but I don't think he ever like planted his flag like in one particular um I, I would say like business or, or or career like he did the teaching and the coaching but that was just for security purposes you know just to have that solid or said income, but I mean, he, like I said, he sold life insurance. He he dealt with mortgage reduction. I mean, cell phone company. He did a lot, but it's like he never could solidify himself in one because you know, because of the time. And I just you know that's one thing I, I would tell him. Like if you, you know, had put all those marbles or all that time into one of those companies or one of those businesses, it would blow up. But watching him be successful even with the time he put into the, his business i mean i was soaking all of that up me and my brother you know coming up it's just like 
we didn't know anything else but to like work or but to hustle just from watching him. So it was like he even dabbled in. That's what a lot of people don't know. He even dabbled in photography. My mom bought him a camera. Now he didn't know, of course, he doesn't know any of the. He didn't know any of the, the 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 real techniques. He had, he had no formal training. He just kind of learned just by shooting. But he never had any professional lighting. He had a a flash that he put on top of his camera. But he he hustled in that too. So I just learned pretty much my work ethic came from watching him. You know, even you know even with the coaching. So I'm not all of that. But I, I'm just I feel fortunate that I was able to find something that I was passionate in and operate in it. I was passionate about coaching. It was hard to leave coaching. You know, especially those guys, because a lot of those kids don't have father figures, and they look up to you in so many ways. It was it was really tough to leave it to um, pursue the photography full time, but I knew we were getting ready to start a family, and I knew the time restraints when it comes to coaching and teaching. There's so much time involved with that, and being I was going to start my own, you know, I just had to be cognizant and just really make a conscious decision as to, you know, what move I was going to make. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer. And that and one of your last uh, points you made is following to my next question, which is that as a father, I know you're a father of, of two. Um, you know, there, there's obviously the recent police shootings that have happened. You know, obviously it's it's a time a, a very tenuous time in this country. You know, with you having you know two sons yourself, being being a, a black man yourself. You know. You you have a certain voice, certainly in the mobile community. Uh, people know you. Are you afraid? Um, for, for let me ask this two-part question. Are you afraid, first and foremost, for your for your safety and your and your potentially your uh, son's safety as they grow older? And are you willing to lend your voice to action that may result in in legislation or change? Uh, you know, certainly locally, because I think you are somebody in the community that people know and respect you, and they say, hey, you know, this is Dwight, you know. So, you know, just just take those two questions and, and I want to hear your answer. Okay, definitely, man. It's um it's disheartening to see what's going on, you know, in the world, yeah, especially, you know, with the with the the race and the uh, the profiling. And I was just talking to my I was talking to my wife earlier today and I said people just really don't know what we go through as black men. Um I was telling her when I initially Back in and this is you know this has been going on for years in my life and in my brother's life I'm sure in y'all's lives as well. I remember when I first got um I bought a Jaguar back in 2004. I just bought it was a birthday gift to myself and I, I can I can tell you like five times that I got stopped driving that car for absolutely no reason at all. You know and then they would give me some bogus excuse as to why they stopped me and my brother. He had purchased a, a BMW a couple months after me, and the same thing was happening to him, you know. So it's like we've been getting profiled for a long time, and I'm at the point now, like, honestly, man, just yesterday I literally got paranoid when a cop pulled up behind me. I just got paranoid. You know, I don't have any warrants or anything like that, but I was just paranoid just just seeing how these situations are escalating. And, you know, everybody that's being um, – that has been, like, killed or uh, harmed or shot by police – Everybody has not has hasn't like responded, you know, confrontationally, so to speak. We just had an incident here. I only I'm not sure if you're aware of it, Frank, but um, a 19 year old got murdered here in Mobile about three weeks ago. Yeah, we, actually, it's funny you say that. I don't wanna, I want to stop you, but we actually talked about that uh, with Lashandra Holmes Young, and, and we and we okay. actually talked about that a good bit. So, yeah, that that was ooh, yeah, that's another yeah, one. It's, yeah, so it's here now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like if that wasn't a wake up call, I don't know what is. And we, I've already like lent my voice, um, so to speak. We, um, we formed this coalition called the Leaders for Truth, Truth and Justice, and it, um, it consists of Jermaine Burrell, who's going to be running for mayor, um, Vivian Figures, uh, Senator Vivian Figures, Representative Napoleon Bracy, just to name a few. Um, you know who big dogs here in this area and doing great things for for blacks uh, in the state of Alabama. But we formed the coalition, and we actually drafted a letter that we sent to the mayor because the mayor, a lot of people didn't know this, he had allowed the cop who killed Michael Moore to return to active duty, and the investigation is still ongoing. So that was really like a slap in the face to us as blacks. And pretty much in the letter, in a nutshell, we told him, you know, the people of Mobile, you know, the black citizens have been peaceful. And you allowing this guy go to go back to work, you know, you're asking for violence. You know, you 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 pretty much you're gonna you're gonna fan the flames, so to speak. And they actually, the mayor responded, and he pulled the guy back off duty 
while the investigation continues, you know. So it's just crazy to see what's going on here. You know, the, the, the um, police chief has, made, you know, made some really, really controversial remarks in re- regards to the shooting. I guess you just you just have to be black, a black male, or even, you know, just black in general to really understand the plight. You know, so many people are focused on the reactions, but they're not focused on what, you know, what are causing these. Reactions, you know, um, the pastor. A pastor was. I was talking to Pastor Vincent Robinson the other day, and he was telling me he was talking to a, a white pastor, and the white pastor was um, asking him, "Well, what did you think about all the killing that was going on in Baltimore?" And the pastor asked him, "Well, what did you think about the guy who died in police custody?" You know, it's like you can't focus on the violence or what we're doing in response to what caused it. So, I'm, I'm, I'm really. I mean, at a loss of words when it comes to it because I always think about my 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 two sons. A friend of mine called me yesterday, and she was just like Dwight. You know, when when I saw this last shooting, she said I was literally watching news the news and crying. You know, and I was just thinking about you know D three and Saxton. You know, your two little boys, just like man. You know, it's got to be tough as a black man right now, and then having two black sons. It's like how do you you know how do you deal with that? And it's just like just really day by day at this point because you know what he. D three is two, Saxon is one, but it's just it's really it's really scary, man. That's that's all I get. It's really scary just to see it's just just see them killing really, and they don't care about the cameras, you know. They because everybody is getting off regardless of what evidence is there. Everybody is like killing us, and they're getting off. And you have so many other whites that are confused about. Black Lives Matter. It's like they don't understand the difference between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. It's just, it's just really a time where, you know, the race issue it just needs to be talked about more. We are talking to Dwight Ladd of Ladd Photography in Mobile, Alabama. You can visit LaddPhoto.com. That's L-A-D-D Photo.com, and uh, book his services. Check him out. We're very appreciative for having him on today. I kind of want to stick somewhat slightly on that topic with the uh, police shootings. We, Frank and I, we did um, uh, another, we, we were interviewed on another podcast with uh, Erica Perkins and Ed B called The Wind Down. And one of the Wind questions, <laughs> yeah, one of the questions they posed, well, Erica posed to us was, uh, is there any coincidence or like correlation with all of these shootings of unarmed black men? with the election of Barack Obama. And at the time, and I still feel this way, actually, that I didn't think, you know, I don't think when police officers are shooting these males that they're thinking about who the president is. Maybe you may disagree on it, but my somewhat open-ended question to you is, if you go back eight years to when Obama was first elected, I just remember so much jubilation in this country, especially among, you know, black people. Uh, in the article, you mentioned what a big deal it was for you to photograph him on the 50th anniversary of Selma. Mm-hmm. If you could, could you talk to us about, could you explain to us, like, what it felt like for you when Obama was first elected and the dynamic of how differently black people in general feel today, not necessarily towards Obama, but what was, what's going on and, and the race relations. Like, in '08, there were people that were actually saying racism is over. And yeah. just yeah. fast forward eight years later, and it's like totally different. Can you speak totally to that different. dynamic at all? Yeah, man, it's it's man. That's 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 a loaded question, man. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because you know, so much has changed in the eight years, and like you said, the, the the jubilation. It was just you know, it was so it was just so palpable. It was so real when he got elected, and to us, you know, it was it was hope for us because. We had never seen this happen before. You know, it was history. But I don't know if you, did y'all see the, the or ever read the comment that Chris Rock made. Um, and it, it took me a oh, while yeah. to like really get it when he said, you know, us having a black president isn't black progress; that's white progress. Oh, I didn't hear that. I thought you, I was, yeah, I was yeah. about another comment he made. Okay, okay, yeah. And when I when I thought about, it, I'm like, man, that was a profound statement because, you know, Dave, that 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 is signaling, you know, change for for them, you know, um, to even allow that to happen, uh, to even, you know, 
cast the votes, you know, in order to make this happen. Um, but what, I guess what's crazy about it is from I've, I've heard so many. I don't know what a lot of blacks expected. You know, I, I feel like I feel like he's done a phenomenal job. You know, that's me personally. I was just, you know, me and my family, we were just praying that he, he didn't get assassinated while he was in office. You know, considering what um, he's been up against, he has. He has. Okay. Okay. Well, um, the the crazy thing is, I think a lot of I, I don't know. I think a lot of blacks were just just kind of got it misconstrued. I don't know what they were expecting him to, you know, do as a whole. I feel like he's done a lot, but I've, he's gotten a lot of criticism from a lot of you know from a lot of blacks, like you know, just locally that I talk to, and it's just it's kind of confusing to me. I just know when when, when I was there in Selma, man, when I when I heard him speak. Man, it was it, it felt like I was at like at a Sunday service, you know. You know his words were so moving, and just to to be there and, and see him, you know, just arrive like they did, you know, with um, former President Bush, you know, coming out before them, and then you know him and First Lady Michelle coming right behind them, you know, just just to be there and witness it is just it's still surreal to me. Even when I think about it, I still I literally I still get chills when I think about the fact that I was there. And I was I was really I was one event away from meeting him personally. Um, I was actually supposed to shoot him and the district attorney at a private event at um it was a military institute up there. I can't remember the name of it, but due to a security breach, the Secret Service they canceled it. So that's when I was supposed to be able to interact with him and the DA and get some up close and personal shots, but I wasn't able to. But um because they canceled it, but being able to be where I was. And still get what I, you know, the shots that I got, and just to you feel the energy of the people, you know, in that that moment, man, it was just, it was just, it was just amazing. Again, um, I want, I want, I'm going to get you out of here with a less uh, serious question, but before I get to it, I do just want to touch on the fact we we need to speak Michael Moore's name as much as possible because I agree. I agree. While we while we definitely, you know, we mourn Alton Sterling and. Um, I don't want to mispronounce his name, the guy in Minnesota. I believe it's Philandio. Thank you. They they have gotten the national attention that they deserve. Michael Moore has not. And he has not. So if, if we can with this podcast and, and your your voice down there in Mobile, we can't say his name enough. So, um, again, Michael Moore. And you mentioned some of the outrageous things the chief said. Man, I, we this interview would go on for an hour if I, if I touched on that, but – just from the medical staff removing the so-called gun, okay. yeah. this when does that happen? I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a lot going on with that, folks. And anybody that's listening to this show that's not familiar with this case, just Google Michael Moore, Mobile, Alabama shooting, and it, it's a lot going on wrong with that. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, man, I felt like we've kind of downplayed your your faith. I want people to really understand the fact that. You were coaching basketball. You won a state championship, correct? Well, actually, oh, man, we, I actually won one as an assistant coach back okay. in uh, 06 at Williamson, but we actually made it to the Elite Eight. Uh, we won the sub-state twice. Gotcha, Both gotcha. Years I was well, that, that, yeah. You, you, yeah, you stepping away from a consistent check to follow your yeah. dream. And and that's that usually is what scares a lot of people, and, and you did mm-hmm. it. You stepped out on faith, mm-hmm. and I just think it's a remarkable story. Again, I encourage people to read that article. Mm-hmm. And um, learn more about it. Now, um, I wanted to get you out here with this question. I know you uh, photograph weddings and things of that nature, and you mentioned how big, um, you know, photographing Obama. Uh, what is your favorite thing to um, photograph? Is it weddings? Is it events? Is it, like, just um, people or proms? Like, what is that that gives you the most enjoyment in your profession? Honestly, is 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 weddings, man. Um, that's what when when before I, um, well, when I was trying to hone my skills because my degree is actually in broadcast journalism, so I learned the technical side of photography. But um, when I decided to try to pursue this, I, I was just going around shooting whatever, you know, shooting people, um, like models, shooting church events, you know, shooting whatever, because I was trying to see what I really like to shoot. And I wound up shooting a couple of weddings at my, you know, for some church members at my at my church for free. And man, I, I fell in love with it. And a friend of mine had referred me to this photographer to check out his work. A guy named Ross Knight in Atlanta. And I just like fell in love, like idolizing his work. And um, I just like the 
just the things that you that I'm able to capture and the moments that um are created throughout a wedding day, man, it's just so much that happens in the day, you know, from the preparation, you know, the makeup prep, you know, to the groom getting ready and they hanging out, you know, in the hotel room or whatever they're doing, just to see it all come together and capture it and um, just see it play out in an album. Like, it's just, I love it. I love it. I love being able to capture those moments, man. Um, it's priceless, you know, You and, and then you never know who's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. You know, I, I shot a wedding. And a lot of people don't think about it. I mean, I shot a wedding a couple of years ago, and literally a week after the wedding, the bride's father passed. Guy looked like he was in good health. You know, about six four. You know, just you just wouldn't you just wouldn't imagine it. And just to know that I was his last time being photographed with his family, just you know, you don't you know you don't, of course you don't always anticipate death, but I mean it's evident, but. Just being able to capture families together and having a good time, man. And, I mean, I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything, man. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah, you, you create the, uh, the the lasting memories of one of the biggest days of people's lives. So yes, exactly. That means something. So, uh, we have been talking to Dwight Ladd again he, uh, of Ladd Photography in Mobile, Alabama. You can visit LaddPhoto.com. That's L-A-D-D Photo. Dot com. Check this brother out. Um, we really appreciate you coming on, man. You, you answer some a, a whole array of questions from Black Lives Matter to your profession. So we uh, we really appreciate it, and thank you for coming on Politically Entertaining. It's not a problem at all, man. Is it one other thing? Can I say one other thing really quickly before we? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, just going back to what we were saying in regards to you know um the, the Black Lives Matter movement. One thing that I think is like um. One of our, I guess, Achilles heels when it comes to the, to us as a people, when we get, you know, wronged or when one of these situations happen, you know, with the, the cop killings and the things of that nature, like right now in Mobile, it's kind of dying down. It's like we get angry and we would react and we get angry and then it dies out and we just kind of fade to black again, you know. Yeah. It's like we got to keep the pressure on in order for changes to be made, and we just can't get quiet again. You know, we just can't relax. We have to continue to push the issue like we're doing now with the group that I'm involved with, Leaders for Truth and Justice, to keep, you know, knocking on the mayor's door and keep the pressure on because they want us to go away. You know, they want us to go away. They want it to die, die, die down. They want to distract us with other things. So if we just stay um active with it I I just think we can get a lot more accomplished. I agree and I don't know you can this is a real quick question. I have said that for some reason after the Alton Sterling uh, shooting it, it felt different. Like I get what you're saying how we we react and then it dies down. This mm -hmm. one felt different to where it seems like it's going to have some staying power mm -hmm. and people are going to stay engaged. Have you felt that way, or am I being no, naive? No, I, yeah, I have, especially with the, um, you know, uh, the the highway situation. You know, uh, um, I think that I really think this is this is this is like the we're at the boiling point, and yeah, I don't think we're gonna take any more. You know, I just. I, I think it, we're literally we've been fed up, but I think we're really, really like fed up at this point, and. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep, you know, keep forcing the issue until, you know, something is, is done, man. And there's a lot more I can say in regards to, like, the media and how the media is handling this, man. It's just, well, I mean, we already know. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah. it's biased in so many ways. But I think that we're so fed up right now. I think it's going to, I really think it's, it's going to have some staying power. I'll agree with you on that. All right. Well, again, man, thank you for coming on. And hopefully you'll come back because, um, I definitely would like to discuss some more topics with you, maybe possibly after the election, and um, you can also come back and probably tell us more on the developments of Michael Moore and mm -hmm, what, what's going on with that case. So, definitely, no doubt. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on. Again, folks, visit ladphoto.com. Check this brother out, Dwight Ladd. We appreciate you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity, man. I want to thank Dwight Ladd once again for joining us 
on Politically Entertaining. Again, that website is ladphoto.com. That's L-A-D-D photo.com. Uh, two things that stuck out for me, Frank, he mentioned, you know, black mothers are like literally crying at seeing, you know, the, the shooting deaths of Alton Sterling and, and other people over the past. And that is so true because I've, I've, I've seen several mothers that have literally said that like they've cried, even though their son hasn't been subjected to it. They may have a seven or eight year old son and they are literally fearful for him growing up and, and having a wrong encounter with a police officer. And the other thing is the question I ask them about the eight year difference from when Obama was elected to today. And just the, the feeling that a lot of black people have is going from hope to literally fear and despair. Uh, I wanted to know what, what stood out to you and, and what did you think about the interview? I mean, overall, Dwight is very just impressive. His story, just going back to the beginning, we talked about, you know, him getting started with his uh, photography business and, and the financial struggles and, and to where he is now that that just can't underscore. Uh, the kind of person he is and where he is now. So, you know, obviously the things he touched on are important. You know, his his, his two sons, him bringing the, them up and feeling like, you know, uh, being, you know, he had mentioned, you know, being pulled over and having friends pulled over. Something we talked about in previous shows, just something that, you know, black black men have been dealing with, or black people in general, but black men especially have been dealing with. Uh, and, and his response to, to, to different things and how he's involved and, and he's involved in a committee that wrote to the mayor and, and expressed, uh, you know, dis, dissatisfaction with the fact that a police officer who potentially engaged in unneeded deadly forces allowed to go work, work back. And he was part of a peaceful resolution to say, hey, if you put this guy back on the street, you could have some problems. So I was very impressed with his activism there because I think a lot of times, you know, when people are, you know, on Facebook putting lip service to things, they don't actually do it. So I think that he is actually involved in it. So that makes it even more impressive because, you know, he's very busy. Obviously, anybody who's a wedding photographer is super busy. But the fact that he's also involved in this community is very big and very important at the local level. Something we always talk about a lot. And so that's really how you affect change. And I, I'm really impressed with his uh, work at that at that level. So that was, that was very refreshing to hear that. Agreed. Um, before we get to discussing more about the uh, police shootings as we did with uh, Dwight Ladd a few moments ago. It seems like uh, for the last few episodes, Frank, we've been discussing some type of terrorist attack. And when, when you follow news like we do, it, it keeps showing your toes, man, because it changes in the blink of an eye. And, and just last week, we had 84 people killed in France. They were celebrating. You can correct me if I pronounce this wrong, Frank. I think it's called Bastille Day. Uh, people were celebrating that in France and some guy in a, in a semi truck ran over this crowd of people, wound up killing 84 of them, injuring another hundred. Uh, and then as that's going on later that day, or I believe the very next day, he had an attempted coup in Istanbul, Turkey, 200 people wound up dead. And that that right there is is interesting because what happened in France is it, tragic and it's almost draining covering this stuff when you talk about Orlando, you talk about the previous attack in Istanbul and, and all over the world recently. It, it can be literally draining. What's interesting in what happened in Turkey is the president there. He blames this attempted coup because he, he said he has he now has control of the country again. But he's blaming this attempted coup on an exiled cleric that happens to live here in the U.S. He lives in uh, Pennsylvania by the name of Fatula Gulen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's Fatula Gulen. He lives in Pennsylvania. And what's interesting is he's demanding that President Obama either punish this man or send him back to Turkey, which you have to assume he would probably kill him. I assume that's how he get down in Turkey. But um, we use Turkey's airspace to fight ISIS. So I want to put you on the spot, President Frank Turner. Do you potentially send a, a man that may or may not be guilty? He, he could very well be innocent. He could have nothing to do with this coup. They interviewed him through a translator. He said he had nothing to do with this attempted coup. So would you potentially send a, a possible innocent man to his death? Or do you risk alienating uh, an ally, a reluctant ally, but an ally nonetheless, 
in this fight against ISIS because we definitely have to take them on. What decision would a president Frank Turner make? Man, I um hmm. I mean, that's a tough. That's a tough question. I think I'd rather jump in to the pit with Harambe and get my daughter. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, just in all seriousness, I, I really need to know, uh, you know, what not sending this guy back would mean. Would that mean that Turkey would be like, okay, well, you're not sending him back. You're not in our using our airspace anymore, or what? Or what strain that would put on? Uh, Turkey, you know, I would probably not send the guy back uh, initially. I'd have to have more information. And if Turkey tried to pull something where they would reluctantly like try to take away the airspace from us, then I'd find another bit of leverage on Turkey because I'm pretty sure we could probably do that to where I'd still be able to leverage that before I decided whether or not this guy was guilty. Because I'd have to know. I would. I could not sleep well sending a man who uh, was innocent to his death. Um, and, and so that I would have to verify that it wouldn't just be something where this guy had a vendetta and he wants to get him and, you know, he could use him as a pawn in that in that regard. So I don't I, I think it's a difficult uh, situation to be in. But I think that at the end of the day, it's not clear how the coup started. And right now you've you've had some allegations, as you mentioned, but nothing has been corroborated. So I think it, I think things will come out. I think there's ways to verify those things. And when they are verified, I would act accordingly then. But until I had the facts, I wouldn't make any decisions. Yeah, he would have to give me more than his word or uh, assumption that it's this guy. This guy hasn't been in Turkey in 14 years. Now, he is a known enemy of the president of Turkey. They uh, definitely clash on I, some type of secular behavior, some 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 things like something like that. But he hasn't been in that country in 14 years. So I, I would return his call and tell him I need a little bit more and like you say see if you can uh, find other angles with that but I thought that was interesting and a, a possible tough decision for our president who is on his way out the door actually so we'll see what happens with that uh, before we go as you know the big story the last couple of weeks have been the shooting deaths of Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge Louisiana and Philando Castile in Minnesota uh, both were shot there with Alton Sterling his shooting was caught on tape the aftermath for Philando's was caught on tape and it really grabbed a lot of people his his fiance his daughter in the back seat and she's like she went live with it apparently with Philando he had a, a license to carry a weapon the officer asked him for his ID as he reached for his ID the officer shot him now that's what's said that's what's being reported that part is not on video uh, and with Alton Sterling, I believe he was selling CDs. It's just so reminiscent of Eric Garner in so many ways. Selling CDs in front of a store. I believe a homeless man, Frank, uh, I guess had been bothering him. It's reported that he brandished his weapon and told him he needed to get out of there. So the police are responding to a call of a man with a gun. They struggle with him. They have him on the ground. And I can only watch that video but so many times, Frank. I think I may have watched it twice. I heard that there are other angles. I didn't want to see it. I'm tired of seeing black men being killed on TV from the guy in Cincinnati to uh, Eric Gardner, as I mentioned. It, again, it's one of those things that's been draining. And then to put it all together as as Black, black Lives Matter, as they're protesting uh, these two deaths in Dallas, you had a guy that took out five police officers in Dallas. You know, I don't really have I usually pose a question for you on each topic, man. But I just want you to just say whatever is on your mind with the, the current race relations in this country and Black Lives Matter being painted as a terrorist group. I'll get into that after you speak on it. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on all that's going on in this country right now, especially with race and black males versus police. I mean, it's, it's a very tough situation. You know, I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, uh, relationships. And I think that the, the, the biggest problem right now we have is the, the community that the police officers are policing. They're not connected to. They don't, they're not bonded to the people there so that, you know, when you get to know people in community, you actually know who the good and the bad people are. There are people in the community who say, hey, this guy's a bad guy and they want him you know, arrested and they'll help you probably get bad people off the street. I think there's 
the the way communities are being dealt with are almost like if if I if you see roaches in your house, you don't ask them, you know, hey, how'd you get here? Did you guys get enough to eat? You know, what's what's your story? You just spray them, right? And you get rid of them. And I think sometimes that's how uh, these black men are being treated in these situations. They're not being their situation is not being assessed accurately. They're just looked at like, oh, these guys are threats. We got to take them out. And so certainly there needs to be a better dialogue. And I know that there's been some marches and I know that uh, there have been some people who are leading marches in their communities so that the police can get to know people they are policing. That's very important. I think that there is this idea that police are just going out and arresting criminals. But there's there's a certain flow and ebb and flow of, of how things work in neighborhoods. And I know we brought this up before with The Wire is a great show, great example of what police work looks like. Uh, successful police work looks like when you know people in the community and you can get them to uh, police themselves and, and make your job easier. I think that there's not enough of that happening. The men that are getting killed are not even they're not even hardcore criminals. I mean, that's the thing. They, they try to victim shame the guy, the people later, but it's like, yeah, they have a bunch of petty misdemeanors or things like that. But the people that are getting killed are not like armed robbers or drug dealers or, or or you know child molesters or really serious criminals they're just like random people that are caught up in a bad day they get stopped they're selling a cd they're selling a cigarette and they're getting killed there has to be a way to bridge the gap in, in the communication in, in those relationships and i think the second thing is you know people don't want to acknowledge it and you know i, I don't want to turn this into a religious show but it's somewhat you know spiritual that i think you know there's an idea that there there's a spirit of of people that have certain prejudice in there, it's manifesting itself uh, in, in different ways, and I think people need to look at themselves in the mirror and say, "What prejudice do you have? You have to you have to confront those things." There's there's prejudice on both sides that can happen, as as you saw with the uh, the, the 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 young man that that killed uh, the five police officers. It's like, why did you kill those five police officers? Because they were white? Because they're police officers? Is that are they the reason why? Uh, you know, Philandio Castile is dead and, and uh, Alton Sterling is dead. No, of course not. So there's not enough accountability uh, from that standpoint on either side. And then certainly from the police standpoint, the relationships need to be worked on. That has, that's the thing that has to start, uh, you know, from the top down. Uh, you know, the police chief has to be like, hey, in this community, we're doing this, this and this. And, and it's just unfortunate. And, and the only thing I want to say is. The robot bomb, that the one thing that's not getting enough attention in all this is the robot bomb that was sent in to kill the Michael Johnson, who is the guy who was suspected of, ki- of shooting uh, the five police officers. And the reason why I say suspected is because we'll never fully know because he never is going to go to trial because we decided that a robot bomb was the way we're going to take a guy out. And I think that is a very, very dangerous precedent to set when it comes to dealing with criminality. I understand that you know people say, well, if he did do it, then he deserved to die. But not like that and not without a trial, not without being arrested. That's those are the kind of things that we can end up with a very, very slippery slope in, in the in the future where you got a guy who's like, oh, we think he did something bad. Let's go in and just take him out. So that that was a very, very dangerous uh, development to me that the, that the police have the ability, not just they have the bomb, a robot bomb, the fact that they have the ability to deploy it and use it. And basically nobody saying anything about it. That is a very, very dangerous precedent that was set. The media was so irresponsible during that whole ordeal with the original guy that they thought was the shooter as they plastered his picture all over the place. And just to see his brother come out and say it's not him, like he's pleading with the media and the police, stop showing that picture. And it's like they they really rushed the judgment on it. They saw a black guy with a gun and said, oh, that must be him. And it, it turned out to be the completely wrong guy. Been hearing a lot about it's, are we at our most divided? No, we're not at our most divided when it comes to race relations, but it is bad. And the rush to condemn Black Lives Matter as a terrorist group is, is, is utterly amazing to me. And for Giuliani, who you would assume is a smart man, mayor of New York for all those years, kind of helped clean up the crime there. You, you would think he would know better, but he, he is sticking to his guns with saying these things about Black Lives Matter is not a terrorist group. You mentioned, you spoke on this before, Frank. I think I think you used the statement that sometimes when people hear Black Lives Matter, it's either Black Lives Matter also or Black Lives Matter only. It's, it's Black Lives Matter also. We're not, when, when people say Black Lives Matter, they're not saying Black Lives Matter and white lives don't or Asian lives don't. It's acknowledging that we realize all the other lives matter. We know white lives matter. 
we want Black Lives to Matter just as much. And for whatever reason, people can't grasp that and they want to, you know, tie these, they try to tie these police killings to the group. It's a, it's a peaceful group. Yes, there are one or two people that are in those marches that go overboard and say things like we should kill cops and things of that nature. They are wrong. They are not what the movement is about. The movement is about bringing attention to the killing of unarmed males. And the last thing, this comes up over and over, Frank. Why don't they protest when people get killed in Chicago? By the way, Chicago is like their go-to move for conservatives and, and everybody that wants to argue against this. They love bringing up Chicago and the murders there. That is bad. But again, we have groups that address that. And you really negate their efforts when you say, that nobody's addressing black on black crime and 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 as brandon brandon mentioned uh last on the last episode black on black crime is a myth because if you look at white on white crime it's like in the high 80s of of white people killing white people you you tend to kill the people that you are around more than usual but people are fighting against the quote black on black crime it just doesn't get reported as much people are doing a lot of work every day on that the thing is, police are paid to protect and serve. And so when they kill someone that doesn't warrant being killed, you're damn right it's going to be outrage about it. Why wouldn't it be? So I, I guess I'm done trying to convince people that people are going to think what they want to think. You know, Giuliani to me is very reckless with his comments. And he's always been a phony, in my opinion, anyway, with this whole America's mayor and he was so brave for walking around 9-11 on the streets of New York. He was walking around the streets of New York because he put his damn command center in a known terrorist target, the Trade Center. It had already been bombed in 93. And after that, he chose to put his command center there. So when the planes ran into the building, he couldn't go in there. That's why he was on the street. It wasn't anything that was so heroic about it. But he's he's definitely parlayed that narrative and parlayed it into a presidential run. And I'm, I'm really kind of sick of that guy. And we usually don't give a lot of hardcore opinions on this, but just wanted to share my thoughts on that. Frank, I'd like for you to take us out, man. I want to. I just want to thank everybody for listening to Politically Entertaining. Remind you again, subscribe on all the platforms that we are available on. Stitcher, Podbean, Podcast, iTunes. Tell friends about it. Like our Facebook page, Politically Entertaining. And you can follow us on Twitter at thevocalminority.com not dot com at the vocal minority that's at d-a-v-o-c-a-l minority on twitter um and again just thank you for listening and frank take us out listeners we wouldn't be here without you we want a united and informed electorate as we've said many times the election is coming up it's a big deal uh just a few months away start researching now Certainly for your local election, see who's running, figure it out, get out there and vote, encourage other people to vote, become part of the process, you know, do more than you've ever done before this election season. It matters. Everything you do matters. Uh, you can make a difference. So keep that in mind as we move forward. We thank you again for listening. We'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.